Thank you all for your prayers towards me. Especially during last month when some of you, not all of you, got to know that I got very sick. There was an effective medications. There was stuff that I wasn't taking good care of. There was ups and downs in my blood sugar and especially blood pressure. And for 10 days, exactly, I walked in the valley of the shadow and death. I might be exaggerating, but to be over 210 and 111 for 10 days, doctors, nurses, you know. And I was walking like I was electric. Maybe I was a superhero, Pastor Ian. I didn't know. I didn't take advantage of doing something else. But I ended up in the hospital twice. <laughs> this is I know. But by God's grace, even the visitation in the hospital had a purpose. And I could pray for nurses, pray for doctors, pray for ERs, pray for my sick, and pray for many patients, and preach the gospel. And I believe more than one people were saved in that visit by God's grace. Thank for your prayers. For those who are visiting today's big holiday, welcome. For those who thought you're going to be Sidwain, I'm sorry. You're going to be stuck with this broken English guy here. But that will be okay. We've prayed a lot. So even one word is going to stick in your heart. We are continuing on the series of Acts of the Apostles. Those who are following the series, we start chapter 1. We are going and we are uh, going over every section, every single verse. And today we are in chapter 19, Paul in Ephesus, the city that was shaken by the preaching of the word. Ephesus. I'm going to only read the first verse, and then we're going to talk and read over those other verses later on. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, and we saw it last week, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And then after, we're going to read the remain. 19 verses. So what is the main point here? What I want to communicate. What is the main lesson or idea that goes this 20 verses? If I would go until verse 40, I would give something else. There is riot. There is fight. There is uh, a problem that goes after this verse. But for those verses... The real gospel of Jesus Christ will produce salvation, will empower God's people, will challenge spiritual realities, and bring revival in cities and provinces. That happened in the past, but this should be happening today. God hasn't changed. His power is still the same. We are not apostles, but we are the church of God who got the same mission to preach the gospel, to witness the gospel. And if you are those who sometimes feel down because you are not here preaching, you're not here teaching, your main gifts, your main uh, talents are 
abilities are not to be in front of the church, that's okay. Because when Jesus, before Jesus went up to heaven, he says that all his people would receive power to witness to the end of the world. And the power is to witness. The word actually is to be a martyr, to suffer for the sake of Christ. I need and you need power to witness to a poor people because Jesus came to fulfill Isaiah. And the poor will hear the gospel. And the gospel can be heard by you through the power of God, to your manners, to your behaviors, to your love, to your gestures, to your hands, to your care, to your sharing. We need the power to reach a beggar. We need the power to reach rich people. We need power to communicate the gospel in a way clearly, simple, and you don't need to be a preacher, but you need the power to share that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived, died, was raised, and is still among us. Amen? So this is what it's about. So the book of Acts shows that the strength, the power of the gospel can overcome oppositions. You have, I have, we as church have, and those apostles and disciples had a lot. And if you are following the series we have been preaching, you saw it. In Lystra, there was opposition from the paganism. They were pagans. They didn't want anything with God. In Athens, those smart guys, philosophers, they also had oppositions. And they have that idolatry culture of everything. But they didn't know the unknown God. In Corinth, we saw last week... Racial barriers and Aphrodites and all those spiritual prostitute worshipers and people would come there to have ecstasy, to experience their fake God or false God or demons believing they were serving uh, God. And in Ephesus, where we are now, we are going to see oppositions from the religious business, from the entrepreneurs and the worshipers and followers of Diana or Artemis whose temple was one of the wonders of the past. So at that time, or the time that Paul wants to visit Asia in the beginning, he was not allowed to in his second missionary journey. But then God, who prevented him first, now gives him the opportunity to come to Asia and to evangelize the province. More than a city, but a province. We know that Paul preached both, boldly, publicly, and from house to house. We have to understand that Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, which today is Turkey. That church became one of the most important churches of the first century, after Jerusalem and Antioch of Syria. In three years, Paul spent three years in two times in Ephesus. This great metropolis of 200,000 inhabitants. We know, and what seemed to be quite impossible, I lived for 10 years in a city of 100,000 people 
And I don't know if 10,000 people have seen me there in 10 years. But in those three years, the gospel was preached to these 200,000 people in that place and the region. So effective, so powerful, so diligently that Paul was. And as a result of it, churches were established. He established church as we see in the Bible. Actually, the seven churches of the book of Revelation are there. Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae, and other regions. And people such as Paul, Apollo, Priscilla, Aquila, passed through it, or Aquila. And later the apostle John. Some people don't know, but John was there, a pastor of this Ephesian church or Ephesus church, later on with Mary being its member, the mother of Jesus. From that place, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians. Actually, he wrote six letters. Some others were missed or we were combining at least four of those in the two letters. Two letters to Timothy when he was a pastor of Ephesians. John also wrote his gospel and three epistles in Ephesus. Can you imagine how important that city was? Can you grasp how God uses strategically places? Can you believe that one city can be so important and can affect all the church in this particular, all the New Testament church and letters and the gospel in that time? And that's why Paul smartly, wisely, guided by God, spent more time there than anywhere else. Barclay mentioned, William Barclay mentioned six reasons why Paul spent time there. There are six reasons. I'm going to only detach three. The fourth, fifth, and sixth for the sake of the message today. Ephesus was the home of delinquents. I never knew that unless I would have read. But criminals, robbers, political uh, people who were in jail, if they managed to escape wherever they were, they would find asylum. They could be refugees in the temple of Diana. Of course, when you have such a, a, a place or even place for those who are bad people, of course, the city would be surrounded by those people as well. So it was asylum for those delinquents. Also, Ephesus, as we read it here, and then in the letter of Ephesians, it is the place of a pagan superstitions. They were known in that time to be a place that they would sell scrolls. They have their own prayers. They have their Ephesians letters that people could read and have some kind of blessing. That's what they believe. And people from all around the world who would have heard about it, they would come to that place because the letters promised protection in travel. Who doesn't want a protection in travel? I do. I go to Brazil after four years, the end of the year. Who knows what's going on there? Who knows if the COVID there is the same COVID here? Who knows what their flu they have? In 14 years here, almost in Canada, I barely got flu. Oh, I got COVID too. Who didn't? But 
everything was okay. But the twice I went to Brazil in 13 years, twice I got those swine flu and dengue, things like that, I almost died in my own country. I have no immunization, so I need protection. But should I believe in those superstitious books? Of course not. But that was they believe. They believe, oh, these letters of Ephesians from this city, they have uh, books that gives protection travel. Children to those who did not have them. That's what they would propaganda. Success in love and business. Wow, now gets more people. People from all over the world would go there. And then this giant great temple, Sumptos uh, Temple of marble and all sort of columns with gold and, and eight times larger than Paternal would attract people for their worship. So as we see, Paul was in the right place. Paul was strategically, wisely, powerfully in the place that the gospel should be preached. So don't get away, don't go away if the place is filthy, if the place is dangerous, if the pay, sorry, place, maybe I need water. If the place is superstitious, there where you should be. Corinth was one of these places where abundant sin, grace was more. And in, in Ephesus, that's what is going on. So as we can see, Ephesus has become the center of the apostolic attention from now on. Let us learn then three steps that the apostle Paul took to move people from their pre-stage of faith to a deeper understanding of Christianity, shaking the foundations of a region. For those who knows I am more energetic than you are seeing, I'm trying to save my energy until towards the end. Because after being sick a month, I came and preached in the Brazilian church, and I gave 120 in the first 10 minutes, and then the last 15 I was like, Without voice. First stage. The incomplete believers became true Christians. Followers of Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we can read. And I'm going to read the verse 1 again for you to have an idea, a better idea what we are going to talk in the first stage. And it happened that while Paulo was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, It what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. 
So Paul found some disciples. And Paul somehow discerned, I don't know if they had a previous conversations, I don't know if he looked some behaviors, I don't know if God revealed in his spirit that those people were not saved. He could see they were disciples because John and John's disciples have appearance of a, a, a kind of followers, a kind of religious, a kind of dresses they would use. So he knew they were disciples of some sort, but somehow he discerned they were not complete. They were not yet true followers of Christ. They didn't have all the package, all the work of the cross. Somehow they were fearful of God. Somehow they were probably Jew who knew or heard or followed the Torah and the Bible or the law. They heard that they knew about the gospel. And probably they even heard about the Messiah. But Paul saw something that was not quite right. And that is the question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? I don't know if it would be a question you would stop somebody and ask in the street. Hey, how are you? Good. Good, mate. How are you? Good. Uh, did you receive the Spirit when you believe? So they wouldn't understand nothing unless they were from our church. But that they were surprised too. They says, we never, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Of course, by followers of John or Jewish, they would know what the Holy Spirit is. But what is this about? So that's what you're going to see. So first, the baptism of John. What is Paul saying? That baptism was for repentance. They have received John's baptism. But they knew nothing about the outpouring of the spirits. Somehow they were not in Pentecost. Somehow they were not in touch with the apostles. Somehow they were living as in the past, waiting for the Messiah. In my visit to hospital, I found someone like that. Catholic, as I was Catholic. She was born Catholic. Her daughter is Catholic. Her mother is Catholic. And a Catholic says, I was born Catholic. I'm going to die Catholic. And that was my belief. My wife and many others who after converted and left the church for many reasons wasn't a sound doctrine, even though we love the people and our heritage. But the lady said, I know God. I know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I know about prayer. I know the creed. I know the Apostles' Creed and so on. But tell me more. I see you are a man of God. She discerned. I never told her. She said, God sent you here to talk to me and to my daughter. Says, did he? Said, oh, good. Can I talk then? And I preached to her from Genesis until the resurrection of Jesus. I started there and I ended up after the cross and he's raised from that. When I finished my message, she was in tears. Her daughter was in tears. She says, so what? Should I leave my church? I says, I'm not talking about church. I'm, I'm talking about Jesus. And this is what you believe. Now you can live it. Once I finish, the doctor says, we are waiting for you. Can you come out from this room and come back to the yard? ER? We need to treat you. I says, yes, now I can go. 
But that was amazing. She knew all about religions. She knew mainly everything we know, except she never had ex real experience with God. She never heard she needs to repent. She needs to confess. And she needs to welcome Jesus in her heart. And the Holy Spirit is going to abide in her. That was the case. John Baptist certainly mentioned the Holy Spirit when he said that he was, Jesus was going to baptize with water. He was baptized with water, but Jesus would come after him and baptize with the Holy Spirit. They knew that. But they didn't know that the Spirit has already been coming down to people. They didn't know that there was a Pentecost. They didn't know the full gospel of Jesus Christ. It's true that these 12 men were not yet Christians. As Michael Green states categorically, it is absolutely clear that these disciples were by no means Christians. They did not yet believe in Jesus, but they came to believe through Paul's ministries and were baptized with water and with the Spirit simultaneously. Howard Marshall declares that these men would hardly be Christians because they had not received the gift of the Spirit. We can say, he says, safely that the New Testament does not recognize the possibility of someone being a Christian without possessing the Holy Spirit. Simon Christmerker states that these 12 men were at an introductory stage to the Christian faith. That's why he said it's a pre-stage. They were half saved, if we can say, or have half knowledge of the gospel. Just as we saw last week, Priscilla and Nakila taught Apollo about the gospel of Christ and strengthened it, Paul guided these followers of John to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Don't assume people know everything. Don't assume your Catholic friends know all the gospel that you know. Don't assume your Muslim friends, like I have many, says, oh, uh, always come to God. There is only one God, and they speak about Allah. You can make a bridge, but we know we are not talking about the same God, the same gospel, even though people can know some of it. Warren Beardis writes, Paul explained to them that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And then pay attention. That look to the future, to the coming of the promised Messiah. That was John's baptism about. While Christian baptism was a baptism that looked to the past, what Christ already was accomplished, to Christ's consummate work on the cross and to the victorious resurrection. I don't know about you. I always believed in Jesus. Since I was a kid, I was Catholic. I was Christian. Is that right? But the more, the, the most I knew about Jesus was that he was hung on the cross. That was the crucifixion for me. All the hospitals, and I went to hospitals since I was one year until 12 years. I was a very sick kid. And all, most of our hospitals are 
were Catholic that time. I was born in a Catholic hospital, and then many times that was the place, and surrounded by statues, images, and all sorts. And the more I can have from Jesus was I was uh, pitiful, I was uh, sorry for him. I was crying with him with death bloody tears because what they've done with Jesus so for me I knew Jesus but Jesus was dead Jesus was taken by surprise Jesus was killed we did bad to him there was no hope I heard about resurrection but that mean nothing I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit as well so those is the case here John's baptism was on the other side of the Calvary and Pentecost. You know what I mean? The other side. They were before the river. They were looking to the future, but they didn't know that Christ or the Messiah had already come. That was, they were looking. They still looking. It was correct in that time, that baptism. But that time was over. The real baptism is going to be the baptism in the name of Jesus. John Stott says that it's more likely that although they heard John's prophecy about the Messiah who would come baptized with the Holy Spirit, those did not know of his fulfillment at Pentecost. So do you know what is going on here? This is the only time that we saw two baptisms. That's not the, the rule. That's exception. And the only reason is that the first one is not the real one. The only one baptism that Paul writes later on is the baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with water, but also with his presence. Let's move on. So Paul then preached the gospel, the real gospel, and the real baptism. John said... That you come somebody who would not only baptize with water, but with spirit. And that's what Paul said. Just a comment on baptism. Baptism is not a condition for salvation. You can be saved, and then later on, you're going to be baptized in water. I was saved. One, and a year later, I was baptized and became a member in a church. But the baptism is a testimony of salvation. So if you are saved, you should be baptized. There is a covenant, a new covenant. This is the way you show the people that you are a follower of Jesus. A baptism is only a, a, a visible symbol when we have it of an invisible act of God, of grace inside of us. So that's why... Sometimes or most of times it says the baptism should be applied to someone who believes as in an adult age. I know. I know I'm talking. I was baptized three times. Did you know that? I was baptized as infant, as Catholic. I could not say yes or no. I was just brought. And then I was baptized as reformed later on. I want to be immersed, but my church accept the three but apply one. And that was okay in that denomination. But later on, especially in Canada, when I see I could go to the lake, I says, let's do it. Let's do it properly. But what is more important or most important is what God works inside of us when you believe in Him. 
and that's what matters. Baptism then is a public act through which we can claim to belong to the Lord and enter in his family. And there is in here, and I'm going to go a little further. I don't think you have that. But there is a, 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 a Gentile Pentecost. It's here, as it has been in, in Acts for a few times. Maybe it's a second or maybe it's a third Pentecost happening. First happening in Acts 2, when the Jewish were baptized with the Spirit. They have evidence of the manifestation of the power of the Spirit. Some spoke in tongues, some interpreted the language. There was a power, and people were hearing the gospel in their own language. And then God visited Cornelius, or visited the Samaritans in chapter 8. There was no tongue of prophecy, but there was power, there was healing, there was uh, awakening of the city, and the power of God gave this Pentecost to the Samaritans. And then we see Cornelius, a proselyte, a faithful follower of God, a fear of God, a God-fearing man. And also he and his house was visited by the Holy Spirit. But here we see another Pentecost, likely or coincidentally 12 men. 12 disciples that were followers of John, and now they become followers of Jesus. It's kind of, okay, the same way God used the 12 tribes to announce God to the Gentiles, and then the 12 apostles received the power and all the others. Now these 12 disciples also are baptized with water in the name of Jesus. They are baptized with the Holy Spirit with power. He's speaking tongues, prophesying the great works of God with power to witness from now on. Represent that we are included. We can also have that. We should have that. And we do have that. So this Gentile Pentecost comes to them to testify to prove that Paul has the same power as the 12, or Peter, or John. The same things God did in Pentecost with the 12, and then later on with Paul, and Peter and John, he does with Paul, with the same signs, the same wonders, the same power. The same way the shadow and the handkerchief forever, they would touch Peter and be healed, is happening here with Paul. With his apron and his underkerchief. Paul never intended to do it. Actually, Paul never knew that her, his handkerchiefs or aprons were taken. Do you know that Paul was a hard, hard worker? Paul was a tent maker. Paul would preach in the morning, preach in the evening, work in the afternoon, and sometimes it would go over a different around, but he would sweat. He, his, his clothes would get wet or sweaty or dirty, and he would change. And people found out that even his clothes had so much power that were able to heal. So the people would take advantage of it. Some people would sell it, but Paul never actually was interested in doing propaganda about that. But that's what's going on today. Just a matter of fact, is they speak in tongues or prophesy a sign if you are baptized or if the Spirit abides you. 
not only can be, but the real evidence is the power, is the salvation, is the presence of God. Can be accompanied with those gifts? Not necessarily. In those particular occasions were except in Acts 8. But there was a, a, a proof that God was working equally in those people. So I don't have this gift. I don't have that gift. Don't worry. You should receive power. And whatever gift is necessarily, God is going to give. For instance, in Canada, in Canada way of seeing things, I am not good administrator. At least, this is what I heard. Marshall, your time, your calendar, your daytime is not doesn't match ours. I'm much better now, 14 years later. But in Brazil, maybe I didn't have that thing too, or maybe I was better there than here. But the last church I shepherd, they say Pastor Marcio had the best administration gift ever. <laughs> I couldn't even believe. Say, okay, you love me, I do, but don't lie. But but that's what they say. We did in 10 years what needed 30 years. There are a lot of gifts. Most importantly, did you receive the Spirit? Does the Spirit of God abide in you? Some might have experienced differently. We're going to move on, but I want to just, you know, try your taste. Don't be comfortable for what you have already received. The life Abundance life of Jesus is for every day. The visitation of God is every day. You who knows me knows that I believe that. We all pastors is believe in the contemporary of the gifts. We don't emphasize one above the other. It's the body of Christ. And you are gifted as long as you have the spirit when you believe. Second, I have to move on because there are three people assigned to give me signs soon. Second, the successful strategy of Paul, discerning where to focus his mission. Paul was smart, and Paul knew where to stay. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we stay too little in a place God wants us longer. Sometimes we stay too long where God says, hey, I've, I've moved. Why are you still there? Come after me. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued un in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greek. I thought this was a hyperbolic language, exaggerated language, a figure of speech. How can all Jews and Greek in an area hear about the gospel? Well, it might be for us too much. But if you are diligent, focused as Paul, you would do that. Not only Paul. Now he has these 12 disciples, and then 12 disciples making more disciples. And all of them, with the enthusiasm of God, with God, that fear, the power of God in them, 
They would go anywhere using any strategy, go in the marketplace, go house to house, go to synagogue. Remember, in those times, they didn't have church building yet. So they have to be very creative how to bring the gospel. So first, Paul taught in the synagogue. He spent three months speaking boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. Paul was not playing. Paul was not wasting time. Every day in the synagogue, he could be all day if he wants to. Every day for hours and hours. You think, how can a man do this? We know, probably Pastor Marcio, missionary knows. We know many other pastors. Lidoro is one of them. And Hernandez, Pastor Hernandez is one of them. I don't know how a pastor can preach 600 messages a year. But those people can. <laughs> Some people can more than others. And Paul was one of them. He spoke three months. Many believed. Many became Christians. Many left the synagogue to follow Paul and to follow the other disciples. But some Jews become stubborn, disbelief. They became a, a, a pain on the neck of Paul. They become stubborn. And the Paul says, you know, enough is enough. Let's move on. Sometimes, even in our ministry, not the ministry itself, but some people say, enough. You won't hear me more. You have heard enough. And you are still making the same mistakes. You are still running your life. You are still stubborn and belief. Good day. Good morning. Goodbye. That's it. If something changed their heart, I'm there. But sometimes you need to move from one friend to another friend, to one place to another place. They were even cursing Paul. They were malignant the way. They were speaking evil the way. So Paul withdraw him from the synagogue from that, that time on. He took his disciples. He discerned that God is still working. He works in their lives. And then he goes to this Tyrannus school. Second point. Paul, in the second uh, example of the strategy of Paul, Paul taught in the hall of Tyrannus. I don't need to spend much time in here. But there is this philosophers, and there is this professor or teacher of that time. And for some reasons, this school was busy in the morning and busy in the evening. They are in the best time of the day, the best time for studying. In tropical countries or in, in, in places that is hot, afternoons. In South America, not Brazil. Brazil is hot, but we don't do that. But most South America countries, they close the business 12 and they open 5 and they close until 5. Because they go for siesta, a little nap in the afternoon. It's too hot. So they go home, they eat, have a nap, and then 5 o'clock they reopen the business. That's what is happening here. The Bible says that from 5 to 10, Paul taught his disciples. So it means from 11 a.m., hot, until 4 o'clock, nobody wants to go to Tyrannus school. So it's for free. Let's use the place for free. And he's so smart, he used for two years. Can you imagine two years being taught by Paul, the apostle? 
these two years in hours makes four years of our Bible college seminar today, even in a deeper knowledge of it. So Paul taught then also daily for two years. He left the synagogue and went to Tyrannus' school. He taught then, and all residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. His 12 disciples received a full two-year training, and then they are going to become the elders, the pastors, the missionaries, the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ. Those men, probably later on women, women too, they planted the seven churches in Asia. And the curriculum that Paul worked with then was the basic curriculum for all churches in the New Testament. Third, through Paul's hands, God was doing extraordinary miracles. I'm going to read it because if I don't have time to finish, you're going to stick with the words. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So then even his handkerchief or aprons that had touched his skins were carried away to the sick, and their disease left them. And even spirits came out of them. Then some of the internal exorcists, Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Jewish high priest Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were not believers came confessing and divulging their practice. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and they found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase, prevail mightily. I spoke about already the handkerchief or the miracles Paul did it. Let me focus on the sons of Sceva. Who were they? They were false workers. Those were the ones who wanted to take advantage of Paul's miracles and power. Those had inadequate power. They didn't know Jesus. They were saying, they were saying, I adjure you in the name of Jesus and Paul, but they didn't know even Paul or Jesus. And what happened? Those itinerant Jewish undertook and invoked the name of the Lord, and the, the evil spirit didn't accept that. means that even the spiritual world should know us. The light and the blood of Christ that is in us. You don't see it, it's there, they see it. The power and the testimony of God is in us. Those guys had nothing. They were performing. Last may all the others, miracles, 
or fake miracles and enchantments or using the name but not really knowing who were there. The evil spirits leap on them, master of them, overpower them, so they have to flee from those spirits naked and wounded. What happened then? All this, the spirit of God fell upon all of them. They all start fearing God. Look what the evil spirit did with those guys. But look how Paul has power from God over those spirits. In the, in the name of Jesus, the Bible says, was extolled, was exalted. Many believed in Jesus. Many came and confessed in Jesus. Many start telling what was going on in their lives. Many start saying, I'm a sinner. I have this problem. I have these books. I have these spirits coming to me. I have those practices that nobody knows. Please help me, save me, forgive me. That was going on. Those who practice magic or practice magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. There was a big loss. These 50,000 drachmas means 150 years of a daily work. So they could save this money. When I came to Christ, I have my stuff. I destroyed. When my mother came to Christ, she was an animist. She actually received bad spirits, but she didn't know. And one day I says, Mom, I was told that when we come to Christ, we should consecrate all our lives and get rid of all bad stuff. I know you have one or two statues. Can I collect? She says, son, you can, but let me do it. Believe in me or not, those people who knew me, she brought me three full bags, back of stuff. She had more things that I could Every single corner in our apartment had stuff from this cult or sect. Those people had those books. Those people were reading those books. I remember when I came to Christ, I want to be successful in, in my test. And I heard that Seishonoe, a very Japanese religion in Brazil, you only read things 10 times and you get smart and you get 10 in the test. I got a lot of 10, not because of the book, because I studied hard. But let me do it. So I was doing this. And one day I said, what a garbage. Just recite that positive thing is going to help me to do the test. No, let's study math, geography, whatever. But those people had those books, and they brought in repentance. Let's apply quickly. Four more minutes. I'll be done. Thank you, guys. So, conclusion. Immediate results of Paul's 30 missionary journey. So, if I stop here, guys, I preach nothing. I read the Bible, I told a story or history. That's good enough. That's my starting point. That's the foundation of this message. But this is for me and for you. First, we talk about the incomplete believers became true Christians. Where are you in your journey? I can't assume you are a real Christian, and I'm not saying you are not. And maybe, perhaps, as a, one of the pastors, I would assume everybody are, everybody is. But let me ask you, where are you in your journey? 
Have you embraced the full gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came, lived, died, and was raised? Have he sent his spirit to you? Can you claim you have his spirit? Can you bow down your knees and pray? Can you sense God's guidance in your life? Can you hear his voice either in your mind or through the word of God? Can you sense his guide in your life? Can you feel guilty when you commit sin? If you don't, you are in the John's disciples' way. You are halfway. Yeah? When Jesus saw a guy, he says, well, you are not too far. But not being too far means you are close, but not close enough. You need to be in, not to be close. Where are you? Have you received his spirit and power? Why not? If not, what about today? Why don't we close the deal? Why don't you come after the service with some of us, elders and pastors here and others, leaders, and you say, okay, I... I kind of, I don't want to be guilty of you, but I think some, something else should happen. All right, let's do it. Requires repentance. Requires confessing. Requires leave your previous life behind. It requires to get rid of all bad stuff and be tuned with God. And maybe if you are not, be baptized in both ways. Second, Paul had a strategy. He discerned where to focus. And my question is, do we discern where to concentrate our energies? That's applied to me too. One of the reasons I got sick, because I didn't take care of me. I was taking care of many people. I wasn't taking care about my medications, my daily morning, my breakfast, my walking around, my exercise. It's still halfway to go. But we should discern how to focus our energy who to talk to, how to pray to, how we should walk with. Somebody give us more than we, we can give. Somebody receives, should receive more than we are giving. Somebody needs our faith to be besides them. Somebody, some people need you to hug. Yesterday I was praying for a, a brother. And I said, how are you? Good. I said, how are you? I'm okay. I look at his eyes and are you okay? And he says, no. I'm exhausted. And he burst in tears. And like a dad gets a son, he's taller than me, but we cried. We prayed. And I said, now sit down. Let's talk. Are we focusing? Are we discerning? Should we move on to someone else to see better results? I worked with a friend who became a Christian. And I was with him. I saw him become a believer. I saw him be baptized here. I saw him become a member of this church or or attender of this church. But nine years later, God says, how long are you going to still disciple this guy? Move on. Leave him. Praise the Lord, I did it. Now he's not in this church. Now he's an elder in another church. Amen? But I was focusing only on him. And there is a parish, a world. How are we training others? How are we training others? What our church is producing? Are we seeing life transformation? In our family, in our kids, in our neighbors? In our disciples, how many Bible studies have you given? How many uh, uh, small groups are you are? How many tools you have given? What is the result? Something is wrong, or the here is wrong, or you are wrong. Something has to move on, and life has been transformed, or you move on. That's what Paul says. 
The guys are rebuking me. Okay, enough is enough. Let me go to someone or others. We should have light in our minds. Yes, knowledge. But also fire in our hearts. How is your heart? How is your faith? How is your love for Jesus? Through Paul's hands, God was doing extraordinary miracles. He can do it through you. Just believe. We can't promise. We can't do it. God can do. God has not changed. He can heal the sick, save the poor, work supernaturally through us. We do not need any stuff. Aprons, handkerchief, crosses, books. We need the Bible, and we need the Spirit of God, even money. The church needs, but God doesn't need. We don't need money to do God's work, but God gives us money. But we need God, and we need His power. Do you or anyone you know need to get rid of bad stuff? And maybe you, maybe some of you, maybe in your house. There are bad stuff in our house. Let me tell you, and I'm not playing here. There are things in your house that you need to take and throw away. I mentored a few men. Let's say not from here, all right? Otherwise, you're going to say, who, pastor? No. I work everywhere. And one of those that are not from here says, now I'm a Christian. I'm following Christ. Can you help me to burn all the pornography and all these magician's books I have from previous life, all these enemies? And I bought boxes of boxes, and I destroyed. says, don't come up near me. I'm going to put fire on those. Maybe it's a movie. It's not pornography. Maybe it's a cult. Maybe it's satanic. You don't know. Maybe it's a music you keep hearing. Maybe in the past, I remember preaching the gospel for a Korean guy, and he had all this antique, antique, you know, vinyl disc to play records. He had all the most expensive Beatles, and I stopped there because you're going to kill me. I never said a word. He believed. He converted. I, I saw him born, being born again, and he brought me hundreds of those expensive records. He says, Pastor Marcio, I can't do it. Can you destroy it for me? Let's do it. I'm not here, you know, chasing witchcraft or this kind of thing. But those city was important. Maybe. Maybe the reason your kids or your grandkids or somebody's behaved funny at home because there is something that was not supposed to be there and nobody knows why it's there. Maybe it's a cartoon. Maybe it's a Netflix series. The other day my grandkid was watching a series that, yes, time to go. So, <laughs> no more this Kid, see, all the time the devil is this guy, is the devil thing. He's always prevent. He's showing more powerful than anything else. This cartoon is garbage. You're not watching. Okay, good. So that's it. There were losses. Don't try to make money with bad stuff. Let the gospel spread mightily through our lives. Please come on, uh, worship team. Please come on. I have some credit because I do not do the benediction, so I'm going to make that short. Brothers, close your eyes. I know in English I sound funny. At home, I'm not funny at all. But this is a serious thing. 
You can't live your life halfway, half Christian, half worldly. You come, you cannot live a way that you know some of it, not all of it. You can't say, Marshall, so-so has the spirit, I have a like, very weak one. There is only one spirit. We are baptized. There is power in God's name. There is a task to do no matter what, but has to do in God's ways. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you for this marvelous text in Ephesus. And I'm so sorry if somehow I make it less than it should be. These verses were very powerful to me. And the presence of your servant in Ephesus was magnificent. And later on, we're going to see what happens. A riot, wild animals, and forces from the hell is going to come after Paul. He's going to almost be killed. People are going to be crazy. People is going to be screaming for two hours. Diana, Diana, Diana is our God and our temple. But the gospel was preached. And lives were transformed. We live in a city that is also has beautiful places and horrible places. We also live in a very syncretist, in a very religious, in a very satanic place that believes more in a new age and in, in science than in Jesus Christ. And we see people here be sent to hospitals, emergency care, and therapists, and psychiatric that is good enough to help. But we have also a good tool. We can pray, and demons can be spelled. We can pray as church, and people can be healed, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We can pray, and your name can be exalted, and the devil and the demons can get away from this city. We need a revival. Start on us. Give us all the same measure, the spirit you give to those disciples of John. Even though they are not apostles, we also need the might power to cry with those who are crying, to laugh with those who are laughing, to save the poor, save the lost, and to save our own generations. Use our church and our lady hands to see people healed, forgiven for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.